President Biden's push to compel Congress to act, now getting some help from the United Kingdom. Former UK Prime Minister, current Foreign Minister David Cameron was in Washington yesterday meeting. Secretary David Cameron says that you should vote through funding for Ukraine. What do you say to that? And David Cameron needs to worry about his own country, and frankly, he can kiss my ass. <laughs> Yo, 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 ladies and gents, welcome, welcome, beautiful influencers of Patreon and uh, people of the booge of the YouTube community. Uh, sorry, I'm very, I'm very slightly late tonight. I had to nip into the house to sort something. Then I started panicking that I hadn't set up the stream properly. And it's just all go, guys. It's just all very hectic. And I had a really mad, busy day. And uh, anyway, I'm, I'm here now. And so are you. Uh, people in the live chat, what's up? Uh, Doffer the cap to Mojo Sabian in the live chat tonight, one of my beautiful Patreons. Uh, if it wasn't for Mojo, probably wouldn't be doing a live show tonight. Um, like, I sort of toyed with the idea in the back of my head. And it was only when he sent me a message earlier, he was like, are you, are you doing a live show? It sort of popped in my head. I was like, should I? Have I got enough time to read a bit of news, to have a think about what I want to say? And uh, off of that prompt, off of that catalyst, if you will, uh, I decided to, yeah, to just go ahead with it. So here we are, guys. Uh, welcome. Pull up a pew, roll yourself a bifter, grab yourself a beer, as indeed I have, as would only be right for the host of this show. Mm. Cheers. Uh, who have we got in the live chat tonight? Uh, Tracy Birch is here. Blue Badger 88. What's up, guys? Um, Enzo the God, evening to you. Um, I shall be uh, jumping periodically into the chat, of course, and taking any questions. Uh, um, anyway, let's let's start this, shall we? We are we are gathered here today uh, or tonight to celebrate in the festival of love, aren't we? Of Valentine's Day. It's a time of love, affection, romance. And uh, traditionally, telling someone anonymously that you would really, really like to go to town on them. <laughs> that you would love, you'd love nothing more than to enjoy them physically um, and emotionally, I suppose, is the, uh, is, is the point of it. Um, anonymous, anonymously, um, that angle of it, like that always felt a bit ridiculous to me, you know, a bit dumb. It's like, you know, when you write out a card and you just like from guess who <laughs> it's like, it's not really. You know, like, yes, I, I finally told Abigail how I feel about her. And your mate's like, oh, cool. OK, what did she say? Are, are you guys going out now? No, 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 no. Because I, I wrote it in a card and I, I left my name off the bottom. Oh, well, great job. <laughs> I hope it works out for you. Anyway, today is, yeah, Valentine's Day. Um, sending my love to you all, regular listeners, uh, Patreons, YouTube community members. Um, today for Valentine's, I drove my other half uh, to a place that she selected uh, for us to go for a nice, big, posh lunch. So it was. It was, uh, it was fancier. Um, bit too fancy for me i'm gonna be honest like she's she's into fine dining 
guys. She's into good food, nice restaurants. You know, whereas me, like I'm, you know, I don't give a shit, really. <laughs> I, I remember when we were first getting together, right? And she said that she was a bit of a foodie. Um, and so I took her to this place. I, I want to say it's called Gasson. But then that just means boy in French, doesn't it? Maybe it's not that. Or Gasson or Garson or something. It was somewhere near Farringdon, anyway. Uh, and it was one of these places uh, that just totally upends what you as a person who grew up on council estates, it upends what you understand food to be, you know? <laughs> like if you grew up on Ellington Park in Maidenhead, where I did, or the Toynbee estate, uh, which is where we lived before that, like, which, as I understand it, I can only go on what my mum told me, but it was basically a sort of charity housing association set up for single parents. Like, if you were getting frozen food, you know, every night, basically, you know, chicken nuggets, fray bentos pies, that kind of stuff. If you grew up with that, you kind of grew up with the idea that food is just sort of, it's just there for survival. You know, it's sustenance, right? And I know that sounds a bit wild, right? But it's like that, that sort of mentality. It's like you've got to eat food for survival or you'll die. But that is sort of it. You understand? Like, you have food that you like more than other food, obviously. Like, I'd rather have, you know, frozen food in the oven, chicken nuggets. That's what I'd rather have had that than my great aunt's potato and leek stew, which was, like, fucking disgusting. You know, so you still develop favourites of food, obviously. But by and large, food, broadly you grow up with just this idea that it's just a thing that you have to pause every now and then eat your dinner and then you go back and play or go back to the video games or whatever right that's how you mentally think of food it's a thing that you have to refill with but it's it's not entertainment it's not a, a pastime or an interest necessarily now my other half comes from a different world guys so for her food is is an experience you know it's restaurants and different cuisine from different countries presented in different ways and and it's what the decor is like and the music and the, it's the ambiance right like this this um garçon place that i took her to right i, I took her there i ordered a thing <laughs> it came out on a plate there's barely anything there <laughs> on the, the plate. Like, I left that place starving. I was starving hungry when I walked out of there. I remember walking out. I remember half expecting, like, the door front of the house staff to just, like, poke his fingers, like, right down my throat. Make me vomit on the way out just to make sure that I was hungry on the way out. Anyway, look. So, as a Valentine's thing today and for her birthday which it also recently was it's sort of you know join the two things together and go out and have a like a really nice meal uh, i took her to this place today and uh and it was kind of like like that that garçon thing right like small dishes very fancy decor uh and as i say she's from a, just a different world to me 
So it's interesting, I always think, like when we do something like this, which doesn't happen very often, obviously, but it's different, the dynamic between the two of us, you know, when we walk into a place, because my girlfriend is from this world over here and I'm from Ellington Park and the, the, the Toynbee estate. <laughs> so, and this understanding of food, our, our experiences of food and the way that we've been raised is completely different. You know, I walk in there and the imposter syndrome is like a dashboard on an old car just flashing just beep 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 just flickering like the dials going back and forth there's like a, an alarm or like a warning light just flashing constantly you know like whenever i'm anywhere nice it's just this feeling inside me like like somebody's just going to come over to me and go like i'm, I'm sorry like what what are you doing here <laughs> Like, did you did you win a competition or something? Like, is that why you're in here? Or did you think you could just roll up here in your master? <laughs> really? Parking outside in our gravel driveway in your master and your Primark shirt aid buttoned up over the top of like what is that? Is that a, it's a it's a Tories fuck livestock t-shirt, is it? Oh, really? Oh well, before. I just knew you didn't fit in here in this swanky, perfect decor restaurant. But now you fucking advertised it as well with that T-shirt. So now just out, just go, clear off. You know, no, no, not not through the front door, through the shame exit over here, <laughs> through, the, through the one that you have to hunch over just to fit out of. You know, out a side door. So nobody has to look at you or or even better, right, is it, it would actually be like a shame. Like they would make you hunch down to fit through the exit so you can leave. Right. But then on the outside, as people see you leave in your shame because you couldn't afford to be there. Right. They'd see you. leave, But the outside of the shame exit would be like sculpted like an asshole. So you're literally being shat out by this place that you couldn't afford to be. Um. So, yeah, anyway, look, that was the romantic vibe uh, today. Um, and it, it just reminded me, it's just like I'm drenched in imposter syndrome. Do you know what I mean? And my girlfriend is in there, right? And she's just totally relaxed. This is what I mean. Like, we're from two completely different worlds. She's completely relaxed. Like, it's not even close between the two of us. It's not like... <laughs> she's just completely in her natural habitat. She's like, yep, this is uh, this is where I belong. All, all of this seems to be um, seems to be in order, right? And I'm just sat there thinking, oh my, oh, to be not racked with self-loathing, and to feel like you are never worth it, right? Like I read, I read a book ages ago about uh, Kurt Cobain, right? And I promise we will get onto some newsy, politicsy stuff in a minute because I accept, I fully understand that talking about Kurt Cobain, it's difficult to class that as current affairs. <laughs> so we will, we'll get onto some news in a second. Um, but yeah, I was, I was reading about Kurt Cobain a while back, uh, loosely related to the thing. Um, and it, it was saying like, when he was rich, like after Nirvana had gotten big, uh, he and Courtney Love bought that big ass mansion in Seattle. And, uh, but I, I read that he, he barely walked around it. Like he didn't really, 
He wasn't comfortable with having this big mansion. And so he would only set up camp like in one room. You know, he'd have this big guitar amp and then he'd have his fender over here and then like some beer over here and then it's like the heroin probably. <laughs> like, But all in like the corner of this one room is what I'm getting at. You know, he just couldn't get his head around the fact that he had all this money and that he had earned this mansion, right? He felt weird about the whole thing. And I also heard that he rented, this is after he became like really successful, he rented like a dingy little room in a city motel, you know, just before he died. I read that. Or, do you know what? That could be different like, because I, by that point he would, he'd been married for a couple of years and he had a two-year-old. So I'm like... I mean, that's that could just be more of an indictment about how fucking hard marriage is and having a two year old, you know, he's like, fuck this. I'd, I'd rather I'd rather just stay in a travel lodge for a little bit. Thank you. But like, yeah, I mean, I fully I fully do empathize with this thing about, you know, feeling uneasy. Around opulence, you know when you've come from something else, right? Fully empathise with that. I, I think back to that a lot. Like whenever I go to like nice restaurants, anything that could be loosely described as opulence, I think back to that and, you know, the talking heads I've seen on documentaries where they go like, yeah, Kurt Cobain couldn't get his head around the fact he had earned this mansion and that this whole mansion was his. I'm like, I can't get my head around the fact that I've earned even a 250 pound meal here is, you know, fuck a mansion. This is just like a nice meal. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Like maybe that's because, um, uh, you know, in all honesty, I, uh, I haven't earned it. <laughs> like I've just, I've just, the, the truth is I've just treated my other half to a meal out that I can't afford, and I've just stuffed it on the credit card. That's I haven't, I haven't even close to afforded it or earned it or anything. That's why I feel like I haven't earned this. Uh, but secondly, um, you know, I'm, you know, just go back to the mansion side of things. Like I'm a long way off of being financially stable or you know, Seattle mansion comfortable, right? But also. I can promise you this, right? Here's an Aid Thompson price promise for you. But also, I reckon if I did make, let's say, five million, right? Five million quid. If I had that sitting in the bank or I bought a big house out of, you know, with a chunk of it. I would totally be the kind of guy who would still sit in his cabin with CDs like strewed all over the floor and beer cans everywhere. Like it just wouldn't. I, I'm not interested in anything that's too plush or, you know, cellophane -y or too pristine. Right. We're going to end up with like a net worth of 20 million. You know, from YouTube and like live shows and merch or, you know, whatever. And, and the odd super thanks. Right. <laughs> And I would still, I would just live stream from a shed. I just would, you know? I don't know, like, if anyone in the live chat, does anyone in the live chat, or, or indeed, you know, if you're watching this later, you want to drop me a comment. Do you get this thing, or is it just me? Right. Where as soon as a band gets big, or as soon as the up-and-coming comedian gets really famous and successful, right, you kind of lose interest. 
Does anybody else get that or is it just me? You know, because like for me, it's always been like that. It's like since day dot. I've always been interested in like the up and coming, you know, the unsigned, the bootlegs, the gritty grime of the open mic scene or, you know, support acts, that kind of scene. Way more than the sort of, you know, overly produced, slickly marketed, you know. I don't know if anyone gets that or is that just a thing in my brain? You know, like I, I saw um, I saw Louis C.K. right years and years ago, and I promise we will we will get onto some news shortly. Uh, I saw Louis C.K. Uh, who pre trapping women in rooms and wanking in front of them scandal pre all of that uh, was largely seen as if not the greatest stand-up comedian of his particular generation of like the last 10, 15 years, then certainly in like the top two or three, right? I saw him when nobody knew who the fuck he was in Soho Theatre in London in, with, with about 50 people in the audience. Like nobody had heard of him. Nobody knew who he was. I found him because I'm a comedy geek and I looked at the credits on a Chris Rock sitcom and it, he was co-writer. And I was like, I wonder who that is. And then I searched him and I looked up some of his stand-up. I was like, this guy is hilarious. And then I went and I saw him. But then as soon as he became super famous, I was like, yeah, you know, I saw Paramore. I don't know if there's any like, you know, pop punk, alt rock fans that follow this i suspect there might be i saw paramore before anyone really knew about them they were first on like t the 12 p.m slot at reading festival in 2007 i want to say uh now then they were like the biggest band in the world i was like nah i don't, I don't know you know <laughs> and it's weird because you root for them right you're like this band is so good oh you've got to listen to them oh i love them check out the album you root for them you're spreading the word and then when they reach the thing that you hope that they reach you're like oh, Go fuck yourself a bit, you know? <laughs> don't get don't get all full of yourself. All full of the ego that I've definitely helped to perpetuate here. Anyway, who who else is there? Uh, Phoebe Bridges? First time I heard Phoebe Bridges, I was like, this chick is amazing. I love this. She's so whispery and delicate sounding, but very emotional lyrics. I was like, God, this girl's incredible. Actually, she's probably one, like one of the biggest indie slash alternative acoustic artists out there. And again, I'm like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, like ba basically, in short, as soon as they get some budget behind them, <laughs> as soon as they get a good agent or slick production, I'm just like, well, this has got boring. <laughs> and I don't know if it's like, you know, is it the fact that everyone else likes them now? And before I felt it was like it was my thing. So it was like part of my identity. So it's an ego thing. Like, I don't like it when everyone else is muscling in on my thing. You know, is it that? Or is it that producers and labels and agents and lawyers all get like once the money's involved, once people are worried about getting sued, once producers and lawyers have to double check everything like it all gets sanitized and beiged out and all the corners and the roughness just gets smoothed out into the same horrible product that's been put out like 50 or a thousand times before you know it's like i sometimes wonder like what would my material be like like i i enjoy doing stand-up about some weird stuff right like if i was signed to a big agency like avalon 
if I got commissioned for a late night Channel 4 show or some shit, right? Would I end up being like beige as fuck and just boring and, you know, would I have like lawyers and producers in my ear, you know, going like, yeah, yeah, we, we like the routine where you compared the Tories helping the aspiring working classes basically to Ted Bundy offering them a lift in his VW Beetle. We like that, but we just feel it's a bit hard. You know, it's a little bit hard for the 9pm audience. You know, the, the, the language itself is problematic enough, Aid, but honestly, like the gestures and the grunting noises after it is too far. You know? But yeah, anyway, give, give me give me a grimy, dirty bootleg, a scratchy audio TDK bootleg of somebody's stand-up set. Give me that over live at the Apollo any day. Give me fucking... Um, I mean, give me anything over live at the Apollo, for God's sake. Give, give, me, give me the bugged audio of all of my ex-lovers discussing their sexual disappointment in me Give me that over live at the Apollo. <laughs> I would rather listen to that. But anyway, yes, you get my point. Right. So finally, now we're going to talk about some uh, some politics, some newsy stuff, shall we? Uh, quick look in the chat before we move on. Uh, Tracy Birch says North London council estate girl. Oh, hey, Tracy, another fellow fellow council estate alumni. Um, my girlfriend always tells me off when I say that I come from council estates because she's like, but you don't really. <laughs> because her vision of a council estate in her mind is the council estates in London, which tend to be, you know, thankfully, I'm very fortunate. They tend to be. Maybe this is a sweeping generalisation. Please don't hate me. But from what I've heard, council estates in London can be significantly rougher um, and more dangerous. There's a lot more gang activity. Um Whereas council estates in Maidenhead <laughs> is like, you know, it's I think Maidenhead at one point was like the third most expensive place in the country to live. Um, it doesn't mean there isn't deprivation there. There absolutely is. Um, there's about four or five council estates there. But um, I'm just saying there's I don't think there's as much crime and gang activity. I could be wrong. Maybe it's deteriorated now. Um but yes, anyway, I always get in trouble for uh, for describing myself as that. Uh, the same thing when I say I went to state school. My girlfriend's just like, yeah, but, you know, when people say state school comprehensive, you know, it's like if you'd gone to state school in London, I think it would have been a lot different for you, Aid. <laughs> they would have they would have beaten that accent right out of you. <laughs> um, David Ford's in the house. What's up, David? Um, brown and yellow and weeks two esh two frozen brown yellow food. Uh, do I need some context there? Is that, I don't, I don't know if that's some sort of medical description. Maybe you think you're on a doctor's channel where you're describing some symptoms. I, I can't stress this enough. I am not a doctor, David. Um, I, I honestly have to put that disclaimer out more than I would like to. Um, what else have we got? We'll do a couple more. Uh, Blue Badger says we had baked beans as a main part of our meals, pretty much every meal. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it, this is the thing, like people from council estate backgrounds or any sort of sniff of deprivation, they all know that cuisine, don't they? Like we had baked beans also quite a lot, ravioli out of the tin. We had cheese on toast sometimes. <laughs> we had, my girlfriend's like, how come you never eat any vegetables? I'm like, I do eat vegetables. Baked beans don't count. 
I'm like, I will eat, I will eat broccoli and cauliflower, and but I don't see the. It's like I haven't been raised to see the taste or the benefit out of like, oh, mushrooms are oh, amazing. Yeah, I can't get enough. Of, like, are you out of your fucking mind? Mushrooms. Just give me a burger. Um, yes, baked beans is main uh, as part of your meals. Every pretty much every meal. Uh, breakfast was beans on toast. Lunch was baked bean pie. <laughs> So beans topped with mash and then beans and mash for dinner was really dull. I'd be interested to hear from Blue Badger, actually. What's your palate like now? Because my girlfriend is a fantastic influence on me, obviously, for, for this within this realm uh, and in many other realms. Um, you know, I've been exposed to different types of cuisine. You know, I've gone and eaten in places I never, ever would have eaten before. And lots of it is really it genuinely is quite exciting. It just doesn't. It's not the same experience for me as it is for her. And my palate is a little bit more, you know, adventurous these days. Um, but yeah, I'd be interested to hear if you're like, has it made you more excited about food now because you're eating more interesting stuff? Or did it forever soil your palate? <laughs> and now, if you ever feel down, you have to eat baked beans three times a day to get back to that childlike innocence and fun and joy, right? Um, anyway, so, right. Let's let's get into the new stuff finally. Um, where, how, how long has this taken? Half an hour. Jesus Christ! What what a blatherer I am this evening. Um, thank you for indulging me as I you know talk about my Valentine's Day and food and council estate upbringing and all that. Uh, so I I actually have some good news tonight, guys. Um. You know, I know sometimes this show can be a little bit downbeat. I can be somewhat crestfallen sometimes. Um, you know, it's called Aid Thompson and Other Disappointments. It can be somewhat morose, can be a bit, there's no hope and all that. Uh, but tonight I do actually have something that might cheer you up. Um, so remember David Cameron, right? We all remember David Cameron, yeah? And how he's our foreign secretary now, his return to front bench politics uh, through the back door because he's a lord. He's no longer an MP, wasn't elected and then given a role in cabinet. He was just given the peerage and then, like, yeah, you can come back in. It's fine. Don't worry. Yeah, I'm sure nobody will notice. It's, yeah. Nobody remembers you whistling off and leaving politics forever and going to write your biography in your shed. Nobody remembers the referendum and all of that. Nonsense. I'm sure nobody will mind if you just sneak in the back door, Dave. Uh, yeah, anyway, so he's our foreign secretary. And you know how Ukraine is still roaring, right? It is still very much going on over there. People are still dying. Bombs are still being dropped. Missiles are being launched. Buildings are therefore collapsing. Uh, still very much a uh, in-flight project for Vladimir Putin. Um, and obviously we, we have the best and the brightest at the helm, right? Which is why we've got David Cameron. He's earned his right to be there. No imposter syndrome on Dave, is there? <laughs> Just wheel him into Garçon. He's going to feel right at home. So, um, so, yes, we've got David Cameron as uh, Foreign Secretary. Um, David, uh, lover of fine swines, Cameron. David, 
Let's go into Libya, Cameron, as our foreign secretary. You remember Libya, right, dear listeners? We all remember Libya. Um, collapsed, failed state. Um, ended up with the leader guy getting his head cut off and paraded around on scratchy MP4s. Right, you remember that? This is David Cameron's work. Right? <laughs> Mr. Foreign Policy over here. Best and brightest. Um, yeah, not, not his greatest achievement. But I mean, actually, you know what? Look, to, to be fair, right? If we're judging Western interventions and nation building, like that's what they always refer to it as, isn't it? Spreading democracy and nation building. If we're to look at the West's track record, right? I mean, it took, what, Afghanistan 20 years to collapse into failed state chaos, right? At least Libya achieved it in significantly less time. So, you know, in a way, one man's foreign policy disaster is another man's light speed efficiency, I guess. <laughs> in a way, David Cameron was just incredibly good at his job. Um, so David Cameron is foreign secretary and he is acutely aware, obviously, of the sensitivities uh, with Ukraine and Russia and uh, what a negative outcome for the West uh, it might be, you know, if, if Ukraine ended up falling to Putin. So David Cameron, right, this, this is where the good news comes in, guys. This will cheer you right up. Um, those of you whose hopes and dreams of international diplomacy have, you know, recently taken a hit, those of you who perhaps wondered if the risks of Ukraine might soon move from hazard to reality. Uh, guys, I have, I've got something really uplifting for you here, right? So David Cameron has gone on a charm offensive to the US, right? And he's emphasised the importance of further funding for the defence of Ukraine for Zelensky. And in a mark of respect, in response to this diplomacy, the best and brightest of David Foreign Policy Cameron, in response to that, Marjorie Taylor Greene has responded with, David Cameron can kiss my ass. So there you go, guys. <laughs> David Cameron can kiss my ass. That is where we're at now. Dear listeners, in the worlds of diplomacy, foreign policy, respect <laughs> between different nations, historical allies, David Cameron can kiss my ass. <laughs> from just zero to 100 immediately what, what do you think of david cameron's uh, request to well you know i've been mulling it over and i i respect him he's a former prime minister our countries have a long history together you would expect it to be something like that right well we haven't fully decided yet you know there's a lot of question marks over funding can we really afford this and you know we need to see what happens with ukraine and that's how these things normally go But did somebody like, did somebody spike her protein shake with, with gin or something? <laughs> David Cameron can kiss my ass. All right, Marjorie, just settle down. Somebody put cocaine in an apple pie or some shit. I don't know. I mean, we are at a point now, right? Just, just to really nail this in for you, right? We are now at a point where a prominent Republican is now telling one of her, there, right, the United States' closest allies, 
to kiss her ass. <laughs> and she's doing that because his request is just a request, right? He's not saying we order you to do this. She's doing that because his request conflicts with her and her party, or much of her party's, weird subservient obsession with Vladimir Putin, right? Like, it's so weird, isn't it? I put a tweet out um, earlier this week. I said, like, it's so bizarre how, like, warped the American right has become. Because you have, like, the sons and daughters of people who would have been absolutely shitting bricks throughout that Cold War period. You know, considering buying, like, you know, nuclear shelters to build down in the garden. And, you know, such was the fear and paranoia that Russia might attack the US. That whole Cuba missile crisis thing. And now to have their own kids basically cheering on Russia as it continues to attempt to perpetuate a USSR 2.0 or something similar is just batshit, isn't it? I was saying on, on the tweet thing, I was like, it's, there's a parallel there to like the Red Wall types. You know, their fathers and mothers would fucking puke themselves inside out if they were still alive to see their kids turning and voting Tory. But it happened, didn't it? Utterly bizarre. Um... So, yeah, Marjorie Taylor Greene, upon being requested to just consider further funding for Ukraine, has responded to the UK Foreign Secretary with David Cameron could kiss my ass. All respect out the window. Like, who, who remembers the special relationship? Does anyone remember the special relationship? I mean, anybody remember Bush at the dinner? Do you remember that? Yo, Blair! Yo, Blair, over here. Bessie Buds, those two. BFFs. Nice, fancy, posh dinner in Washington. Bow ties. Yo, Blair! I bet neither of those two felt like they didn't belong at that dinner. <laughs> I bet they both felt like, yeah, it's, uh, this is where I belong. Everything seems to be in order. Um... Do you think Tony Blair lives in one corner of his house? Do you think he lives in like one little corner bedroom out of his whole mansion? Do you think Tony Blair rents a room in Travel Lodge because he doesn't feel like he earned his mansion? I reckon he's precisely the opposite. He's the opposite of Kurt Cobain in more than just this one way. I reckon Tony Blair walks around his mansion and absolutely feels like he's... I reckon he's like, yeah, I, I fucking hurt this sherry! I reckon that's more his, his vibe. But yeah, anyway, so Lord, Lord Cameron putting his diplomacy skills to the test there, you know? I imagine him sort of, you know, really like swatting up on it, working on his words, getting someone to write the speech. He does it at a dinner. He's like, he's really putting in the work, taking his job seriously. He's probably like, hey, does anybody remember Winston Churchill? You remember, you know, we were quite, quite tight around that sort of period, weren't we? World War II, we were busy buds, yeah? US, UK. Remember Bush and Blair, right? They were good friends, special relationship guys. Well, listen, I was thinking, I was thinking, just hear me out. I know, I know, just bear with me. Hear me out first, guys. I was thinking, with that backdrop, with the special relationship, 
I was thinking we could maybe try to push aside Marjorie's total lack of respect here. And maybe just could you could I ask you to show a little bit more class? And then Marjorie would just put her hand up and be like, uh, class? <laughs> Aren't you the guy that fucked the pig's head? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'll tell you something else I saw earlier um, that caught my eye. I saw, uh, I saw a news story bubble up. It said, uh, it said that the government are asking influencers or going to ask influencers to make appeal videos <laughs> to refugees asking them not to come to the UK in small boats. This is <laughs> great new cchq or like home office strategy it's i mean people say they don't think these things through but i think this is genius this is a great idea speaking as someone who spends way too much time online producing content i think i'm fully supportive of this right the government asking influencers to put out videos where they tell refugees not to come to the uk so there you go. Uh, I mean, it sounded to me like as I read this, I was like, you know, does this mean that they've gone like, is this where outsourcing is this the end game of outsourcing, basically? You know, like have they gone through Capco and Serco and Group 4 Securicore, you know, they've worked their way through all of the outsourcing firms. And now they finally landed at Joey Essex and half the cast of Love Island. That's where we've. That's where we've ended up. Like, is it is it cheaper? Maybe it's cheaper. Just, just to pay these guys, like, what, 15 grand? You pay Joey Essex £15,000 to put out an Instagram live that says, yeah, don't come. Don't come. Don't come here, honestly. <laughs> it's not right. It's not right. You haven't got a right. You're illegals. Stay out. You know, is it cheaper? Maybe it is cheaper to pay Joey Essex to do a £15,000 Instagram live or TikTok. It's cheaper than that than to wait for them to come here and then pay a British driver to drive around in a go-home van. Like, it could be cost-effective. Maybe we should hear them out. I don't know. Or do they think... Here's the other thing I was thinking. It's like, you know, do they think Afghan refugees, right? Syrian refugees... Do they honestly think that Afghan refugees are checking in on influencers? Like, is that what they think is happening as they set off from a French beach? Is that like... Is that what they think Syrian and Afghan asylum seekers are all about? Is a bit of, you know... Is that what they think the market is, you know? That there's a famous... Uh, you know, it's, it's like men of working age. That's the, the cliche, isn't it? That the Express, that Nigel Farage, that the Daily Mail always wheel out endlessly. It's always like, oh, well, how come there's so many young men of working age? There's never any women and children, is there? It's always men, so they must be economic migrants. Right. It, think about that demographic for a second. <laughs> Do they really think that young men of working age are all about influence? Like they're just about to set off in the boat. And then one of them is just like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait up a second, Mohammed, Ahmed, just wait. I have to check in 
and see what Molly May had on her salad this afternoon. I, I know, I know it seems weird that I would be into this, but I do. This is what I like. <laughs> what I'm into, guys. And I, I, I said a thing on, on Twitter about this earlier, right? Um, I'll just quickly uh, update you on my, on my theory, right, on how this is going to work for me. Uh, remember, six years of recruitment talking here, right? Just bear that in mind for a sec. And, th and then once I've got through this, I'm going to go back into the chat and, uh, and take some questions <clears throat> or react to a few of your comments. Uh, those of you good enough to join us in the live chat this evening. Um, but here's the thing, right? So government are going to tell influencers or pay influencers to put out content to try to dissuade uh, asylum seekers from getting into those boats and going across the English Channel, right? So I saw this and I thought, okay, I just have a small following, right? A family, if you will. A cult, some have called it. I just have this small, modest following. And, you know, we're not influence ne influencers necessarily, are we? We are, we're, we're influencers around these parts. Um, but if you'll have me, UK Home Office, I will personally volunteer to do this. I will do this for free. <laughs> I will. Now, you're talking about paying influencers to deliver this message to asylum seekers. I'm saying I'll do it for maximum half price probably i'll just volunteer i'll just do it for free right because my sell on this would be strong i promise you my you will not see or sniff or hear a harder sell than my sell on this six years of recruitment six years of selling shit jobs to people who mostly didn't want them for companies who then retrospectively didn't want them either. So I can sell this. I promise you I can. Right. So here's my strategy. I would be like, I'd be like, okay, look, listen, guys, guys, um, I know it seems appealing. I know it seems appealing to come to the United Kingdom. You know, fr from afar, the UK must seem like a, like an understanding, open hearted nation, you know, that you could send your kids to a safe school. Uh, you wouldn't be persecuted for your sexuality or, or your religious beliefs and, or, or for your last name and, and all of that stuff. You, you might think from afar, looking at the United Kingdom, that, uh, that our hygiene rules and regulations might keep your family safer than how things perhaps have deteriorated back home. But guys, guys, I'm here to tell you. And it'd be like it'd be all like mad earnest as well, you know, like a proper celebrity appeal video you know be like all, all black and white <laughs> close up you know right up to my eyes so like I'm, i really mean it right i'd be like i'm here to tell you guys that the schools are not safe <laughs> teenagers kill trans kids now we saw that a couple of days ago we see, see it a few months ago again stabbings everywhere throughout london and indeed in the home counties now Schools are not safe. The roofs, even if you don't get stabbed, the roofs are falling in on your kids. Parents protest outside the school gates because they want their kids to eat unhealthily. Jamie Oliver gets pilloried for trying to feed children well. You know, not all baked beans and chicken nuggets. People in the live chat.
Jamie Oliver would have a fucking heart attack if he saw what I was fed when I was a kid. Anyway, sorry. Let's get back to the campaign, the video, the black and white, close up, very earnest, right? So the schools are not safe. The food isn't good. You will be persecuted for your religious beliefs, whether it's through actual anti-Semitism that you have to deal with or anti-Islam or, you know, or indeed, if you're a Jewish guy, you know, if, if you're lucky, maybe someone might take your religion and pretend to be defending you, but purely for political purposes, leading you into a false sense of security. So you think that this guy, let's say Robert Jenrick, just an entirely made up name off the top of my head, you might think that he's on your side, but actually he's not. He's exploiting your religion. So you think he's on your side. You're completely unaware of the escapeless contempt that he holds you in. It's sort of anti-Semitism squared, levels deep anti-Semitism. Are you, are you running from authoritarians, refugees about to jump into the boat? You're running from authoritarians. Well, oh me, oh my. You are going to feel right at home here then. Because we have just criminalized protest. We've sanitized the media. They're even trying to rig the election now with voter ID and redrawing boundaries and neutering the Electoral Commission. You wanted, you wanted a freer country, did you? You thought the UK was freer from afar. Well, this, this one's on the way out, I'm afraid. Yeah, I give it another five years before a full-blown dictatorship, personally. <laughs> you wanted liberated rights, did you? Well, we're about to sack off the ECHR, apparently. You wanted a vaguely healthy or untroubled by cholera existence. Well, we have got a fleet of floating turds in every lake and river from here to the coast. We've got measles, scurvy, cholera, TB. And, and they'll be watching this like on an Instagram reel, right? <laughs> About to get on the boat. Just like, like it's a fucking horror movie. Like, oh, I don't know about this. And then I got to bring it in close, right? For that last, you know, final bit, the really earnest, like, nail it down with a slogan y kind of bit. And I'll just be like, like, I'm talking to the one to one. I'll be like, listen, trust me, fella, right? I used to be against the Rwanda policy, all right? But now I'm tempted to dob myself in as one of you lot, so I get sent off there. <laughs> And then it would just fade to black. Like, honestly, I, the more I think about it, the more I think that's my calling. What do you guys think? Do you think I could get into like that? I'm, I'm a perfect fit for it. The years in recruitment, the hard sell, the political knowledge now, the rant aspect and the faux earnestness, right? It's clear to me now, right? I should never have done recruitment, right? I shouldn't have pivoted to software engineering afterwards. I shouldn't even really be doing this Whatever the fuck this is. <laughs> it is clear to me now, my calling going forward is to be the one, the only, dystopia's travel rep. <laughs> that is my new job title. I'm updating LinkedIn straight after the show. Uh, guys, that's it. Let me let me jump straight into the, uh, into the chat now. See how you guys are doing. Um, Blue Badger says, I can cook quite a lot now. This was during Maggie and Major till the dawn of new Labour, so it improved quite quickly. 
I can scratch cook Italian food and some curries. Only beans since Brexit again. Yeah, it's, that's nice to hear, man. It's nice to hear because sometimes you do hear these, uh, these stories of people who have grown up in certain environments and the environment that they're in and the way that they were treated, it's, it normalises in their head, right? It's a sort of trauma where you think that's normal. So then you carry on <laughs> eating beans forever. But then it could just as easily go the other way, right? Like it could be, you know, you were always fed this when you were a kid and you made you miserable and now you're older. It's made you want to branch out and expose yourself to different ways and means and ways of cooking and, and so on. Uh, I'm blethering. Let's move on. Uh, uh, 31 blazes in the hisses. Uh, Marjorie Traitor Green. The bottom of the barrel. Yes, a lot of people drew parallels between Marjorie Taylor Greene and the Dean Dorries, didn't they? Because they were sort of the right-hand woman, if you like, of Boris Johnson and Donald Trump, respectively. I always think of... Um, I think I've mentioned this on a, on a guested show. I remember telling someone about this before. But, like, I always think of that woman in Die Hard with a Vengeance who's with the sociopathic brother of the guy that dies off the building in the first Die Hard, right? And she's with him. But she's... And actually, another good example of this is the woman in Cliffhanger. You know where the, the matey like, holds her close and he's just like, do you know what true love is? And then she's like, what? And then he just goes, sacrifice, and then blows her fucking head off. And I think of like the women in those situations, like how actually like cruelly disposable they are to these sociopathic men. Like, there's something so tragic about it. It's like, do I actually think Donald Trump would inconvenience himself for even 30 seconds, you know, to save Marjorie Taylor Greene? Absolutely not. I think if Marjorie Taylor Greene was vaguely in the way of Donald Trump getting to two more votes in Georgia, I think he'd pull out two 12 gauges and murder her and just get her out of the way. Those are my... You know, I, I think there is that element of cruel sociopathic disposability, uh, for want of a better word. And it's that's what makes it so sad when you see how far these women are willing to bend over backwards and sacrifice their own integrity and morals and credibility to prop up these lunatics, knowing that they would absolutely never repay that favour. Um, uh, Blue Badger says just a comment young men of working age go first so mum knows where to go you wouldn't let your mum cross the road blindly without knowing the area yeah so the the way that this is usually sort of um, <clears throat> uh, handled or you know dismissed in panels and discussions and debates and whatever is that uh, yeah the young guys the 21 year olds the 30 year olds those men go first because the waters are quite dangerous. Um, they, they get set up here and then they the women come over later via a safe route. Um, like nobody wants to see women and children. Like it's such a weird thing to <laughs> to pull them up. On. Like where's your women and children? You want to see women and children in a dangerous small boat? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm suddenly all about equality. I'm definitely a feminist because... <laughs> It's just not equal unless we get the women and the children, the babies, the seven-year-old girls, all inside this small boat too. Right, okay. Um, anyway, I'll do, uh, do a couple more. Um, uh, Tracy Birch says, yes, US Dorries, absolutely. Um, 
Who else we got? Questionable Absanity. Two more votes. I thought you were going to say a Big Mac. Well, yes. I mean, if, if rumours are to be believed, Donald Trump is rather partial to a Big Mac. Um, so it's not beyond the realms of possibility that he would murder somebody. Here's a wild question. Do you think Donald Trump, right, bear in mind all the stuff that he's been accused of. He's been found liable for a rape. Uh, he's been found guilty, but not yet <clears throat> received the sentence or comeuppance or the financial settlement or penalty. He's been found guilty, though, in a civil court of Trump, the Trump organization running a racket. Um, and it remains to be seen, I think, how much they're going to. Th I mean, I bet he'll lose his own company is basically where it's headed. So if he's run this this big, you know, fake fraud company, he's not really a billionaire and he's been found liable for the rape and there's all these other things against him. And I mean, sure, like a lot of American conservatives are going to say, oh, well, they're all propped up charges. But I mean, come on, grow up a bit. Right. So if he's been found guilty of all of these things and the moral barometer is just so fucked. Right. Do you think it's possible that he's actually committed murder? Right. I know that's quite a leap. It's like he might have stolen a bit of money and hoodwinked some investors and set up Trump University and he may have committed a sex crime. But could he have actually murdered somebody? Like, could that actually come out, do you think? Because the more I think about him, and maybe this is a symptom of my own radicalization. Maybe I just hate him that viscerally now that I'm ready to believe that he could have done the ultimate crime and taken a human life. But I think about all the boxes that he ticks of sociopathy, of how reckless he is, of how freely he lies. Um, and yes, it's a big leap to go from lying and being reckless to outright murder. But it's still it's like, I mean, would you be surprised, dear listeners, if it came out that Donald Trump was implicated in a murder? Would any of us actually be shocked? <laughs> um, everyone in the chat's like, no. No. And then 31 Blaze says, no, no, actually, no, he, he would have told us already. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. I think he would brag about it. Maybe not in 2016. But I think now he's so emboldened and so protected by the Magalot and by the Republican establishment. I think even if he did stand up there behind the podium and if he said... If he made a suggestive comment like, yeah, I don't think you'll be hearing from her anytime soon like that. And it was a journalist who he had had killed or something. I honestly still think like the Magalot would cheer him on. You know, that's how frightening it's become. And then here's the weird thing. He'd brag about it. He'd get arrested, indicted or like charged or something. And then the Magalot who cheered him on for bragging about it would then say it was like trumped up charges. It's so nutty. Uh, guys. That's it from me. I'm going to have to run. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. If you are enjoying the podcast and the alternative paper reviews, um, do consider dropping a little tip. You can hit the three little dots and hit the super thanks button. Uh, it's, uh, it's not much. I think it's like two pounds, like a pound 50 or something like that. Um, or if you are enjoying successive episodes and lots of the paper reviews, why not join the community? Uh, you can get into the Discord chat. You get episodes of the podcast two days before everybody else. You get named and shamed at the end of episodes like this. Have I got my Patreons up here? I think I do. Here we go. Look, I'm actually prepared. Look at this. 
Um, we've got Kerry, Rachel Harris, Bowman, Kai, Chris D, David Voice, Martin Maracas, Mojo Sabian in the chat tonight. Peter Del Monte, who I had a Skype one-to-one -one call with. That's another benefit. Um, the other night. Uh, Pingu, Stuart Chesma, T-Rex, Aaron, Alex, Jeff McGow, MJ Nichols, Ned Berg, Sarah Setters, Simon Flack, uh, my namesake, Aid, Margaret Abagai, Encore and Fire, Cyclotricity, and Christine Cash. Thank you so, so much, guys. Um, I'm going to have to go. Take care of yourselves. Until next time, keep it booge, keep it Bimfluencer, and I'm out this motherfucker.